This is Real Estate Rookie episode 322. So we only do welcome gifts at a, a few of our properties right now. And ours are, are pretty plain. It's a, it's a little note card that we have. Um, it's uh, a little package of popcorn. Um, and it's like some, some candies. I personally probably wouldn't uh, standard include wine as a, as a welcome gift for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned. We have sent gifts like that in the past, but only if we know, like if we get something from that guest before they check in. So someone's like, you know, hey, my, my wife and I are celebrating our, our 10th anniversary. You know, anyone who's, you know, celebrating an anniversary 10 years is probably over 21 years old, right? My name is Ashley Kerr, and I am here with my co-host, Tony J. Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we're bringing the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. Uh, today, we've got a really good rookie reply for you guys. Uh, Ashley kind of goes off the rails at one point, and she just goes rogue and, and comes up with her own question. But uh, we, we get a few good uh, good guest questions as well, or rookie questions, I should say. So we talk a little bit about uh, mortgage interest and is it a business expense or is it not? Uh, we talk about the pros and cons of buying your properties and LLCs or to doing it in your personal name. I love it how Tony said, Ashley has a question. And then we have really good questions from the rookies. <laughs> she, she's reading into that, guys. <laughs> so yeah, some of the things we talk about today are about mortgage payments and how they should be broken out on your tax return and in your own bookkeeping for your profit and loss statement to show your income and expenses. You have your principal that is included in your mortgage payment. And then you also have interest. And then you may also have escrow, which would be your insurance and property taxes too. So we're going to touch on that and why a bookkeeper can play a really big, important key role in helping you decipher that. All right, guys. So I want to give a quick shout out to someone by the username of Alyssa A. And Alyssa says, favorite podcast, been listening to The Real Estate Rookie for the last year. One of my favorite podcasts for being a newbie in real estate. Always have the best guests, inspiring stories, and advice. So Alyssa, I appreciate the five-star review. And if you're one of our rookies and you haven't taken just a few minutes to leave us an honest rating and review, please do. The more reviews we get, the more folks we're able to reach, and the more folks we can reach, the bigger impact we can have, which is what we want to do here at the Rookie Podcast. So take two minutes, leave that review, and uh, we just might shout you out on the show. So for this week's Instagram shout-out, I want to give a shout-out to Dell Collective. So this is an Instagram account that hosts unforgettable stays. And so they share their journey about um, the three different uh, short-term rental properties that they have. And I want to stay at one of them because they are so beautiful. So if you are looking for design and experience ideas, I'm pretty sure they have... Um, a, a camel, I think, on the property even that you get to hang out with while you stay there. So definitely check out Dell Collective. They have a really unique uh, Airbnb experience along with um, some of the, the different, I guess, uh, amenities that are provided along with your stay and the really cool animals that you get to meet while you stay there. So go ahead and collect, uh, check out Dell Collective on Instagram. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. 
Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent. T-O, retirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. I used to think working from home was the dream, until it wasn't. Between the distractions and the solitude, I was struggling. But then I discovered Industrious Office, and honestly, it's been a game changer. Every day at Industrious feels like stepping into a zone of productivity. The high-speed internet never fails me during crucial moments, and the workspace? It's not only stylish, but designed to boost your focus and creativity. Plus, the daily breakfast and endless coffees are super cool. Meeting other driven professionals right where I work has not just expanded my network, it's inspired me. It's amazing how being around other focused people can push you to achieve more, you know what I mean? If you're looking for a sign to change your workspace, this is it. Check out Industrious by visiting biggerpockets.com slash industrious. Then click join now and use the promo code pockets to get a free week of co-working when you take a tour. That's biggerpockets.com slash industrious and use promo code pockets after clicking join now. Experience for yourself how the right environment can change the way you work. Industrious. It's where your best work happens. If you're in the landlord game, you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where Rent Ready steps in. Now, Rent Ready's got an important new feature, proof of income verification. And get this, with Plaid certified reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. So say goodbye to those gut check moments and hello to confidence in renting with Rent Ready. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. Now, if you're not a pro, they're offering a six month plan for just $1. You can't beat that. So visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, Investor to get six months of rent ready for $1. Okay, today's first question is from Heidi Kaywood. Why is mortgage interest not considered a loss in income or an expense? Is it just the cost of doing business? A $100,000 mortgage costs $50,000 in interest over 30 years. That's $50,000 you've lost even if the tenant is paying it. I know it's a tax deduction and leveraging your money allows you to buy more properties and everyone has different goals immediate cash flow, pay down and larger cash flow for retirement, etc. But I don't see interest expenses in the equation in any discussion and that affects how to use your cash. Thanks. So first of all, interest expense or interest on your mortgage is an expense and it should definitely 100% be included on your profit and loss statement. So if you're using the bigger pockets calculator and you put it in there that you're going to be using a mortgage, the interest will show up as a, an expense when it is showing um, your profit or loss on the property. Your mortgage uh, principal payment that is only calculated since it is money borrowed against your cash flow. That is not calculated as a loss or a, you know as a loss in income or an expense as, um, Heidi had put it. So 100%, it definitely should be accounted for. So Heidi had said that she has seen it places where it's not included. And 
I'm not sure where those are. Maybe people are posting examples, but it definitely should be included when you are running the numbers as to how you're going to fund the deal. If she saw maybe properties that were being paid for in cash where there was no interest, that could have been the scenario, but it definitely should be included on your tax return. And it also should be included as an expense on the profit and loss statement. And what you're having a bookkeeper can do is every month when you make your mortgage payment, they will take that, you know, say $585 and they will take, you know, say the principal that you're paying is actually only $115 of that. And they will take it and they will allocate that $115 to the mortgage principal to show like, okay, your mortgage balance is now this. And then they will also take the interest expense and put it as an expense for you to bring down kind of your bottom line. Yeah. Well, well said Ash. Um, I, I think the only thing that might be kind of causing some of Heidi's confusion and you know, maybe this is something that, that's affecting some of our other Rickies as well is that a lot of times you'll just hear people refer to um, like what they pay monthly for their home as their mortgage payment. So they just kind of use that as a, as a catch-all phrase, you know, hey, my mortgage is X, Y, Z. Uh, when in reality, that mortgage payment is a combination of your principal interest, taxes, and insurance. So, you know, your PITI. Um, so if you hear someone say, hey, my, my mortgage is 2,500 bucks, um, a lot of times you're including that interest payment as part of that 2,500. Uh, but yeah, to Ashley's point, uh, you should definitely be including your interest uh, as an expense on your P&L. And if you are not, uh, or your bookkeeper is not, I would probably uh, go find a new bookkeeper. <laughs> okay, the next question is from Mark Urban. What are the pros and cons of purchasing in your personal name versus an LLC? And if you go the LLC route, do you put all your properties in one or a separate LLC for each property? I'm relatively new, so pardon if this question has been asked before. Mark, we welcome every question here, and uh, we're so excited to have you part of the Real Estate Rookie Group, and that you're going to be starting your real estate investing journey. Um, this question has been asked before, and it get, it's get, it gets brought up a lot. Um, definitely is something that uh, people are unsure about because there is not one defined answer. Is this 100% what you should be doing? So we'll kind of go through the pros and cons. Putting it in your personal name leaves you up for liability, that someone can sue you personally if something goes wrong with the investment property. But you can also get better financing by having it in your personal name. So the bank will give you a better rate and terms because it will be on the residential side and not in an LLC. If you put the property in an LLC, it does provide you more liability protection against you personally and your personal assets. As long as you are following the rules of having a business that is an LLC, such as, you know, properly maintaining your books. Um, Downside of an LLC is that the uh, bank loans are not as term and interest rate friendly. Uh, so for example, if it's in your personal name, you can probably get a, a fixed rate over 30 years. Um, with an LLC, you're probably only going to get a fixed rate over five years and only amortized over you know 15 or 20 years. So those are some of the differences. Um, if you go the LLC route, do you put all your properties in one or separate LLC for each property? So the main part reason for most people to put a property into an LLC is for that 
liability protection. So I would not look at, you know, how many properties I would look at what your total equity is. So if somebody were to sue you, how much equity do you have available where the judge would say, okay, you have half a million dollars in equity. You sell all your properties. Um, if you have them leveraged and maybe you only have $50,000 in equity, then, you know, there's not that much to lose. So I would look at it more of an equity position. I have LLCs based on my partnerships, but one partnership, the equity got too high for our comfort. So we started a second one, a second LLC. Now that properties are going into that. So it really depends on your comfort level as far as how much equity is in that you're doing the properties. And then there's also a lot of people that just put one LLC in each property, or I'm sorry, put one property in each LLC, but like Tony knows it is very expensive in California to have, you know, 20 different LLCs to maintain. You're paying the, what's it in California? $800? $800. Yeah. And is that per year? Per year. Per year. And then you also have your bookkeeping for each LLC. It's a file, a tax return for each LLC. So that can completely diminish your cash flow if you only have one property in that LLC. So that's definitely something else to take into consideration. Um, one more thing I will add is if you do do go into your personal name, definitely get an umbrella policy um, from your insurance broker that all encompasses and gives you um, some kind of protection. So if somebody does sue you personally, they will pay up to a million, two million or whatever that umbrella policy is in legal fees or most likely they'll settle for that amount of money and you won't lose anything. Yeah. Just to kind of add on to that, that last piece you said, Ashley, is is that, you know, a, a lot of new investors, I, th I think they get um, understandably so, but they, they get kind of freaked out about the liability that comes along with being a landlord. And uh, for a lot of people, their their minds go worst case scenario, you know? Um, and, uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the truth is that there's, there's tons of ways to protect yourself and I actually kind of alluded to this, but I think the bigger question you need to ask yourself is how much do I really have to lose? <laughs> you know, if, if you don't have much net worth and if someone came after you and there's, you know, maybe a, a car, right. Uh, there's not a whole lot for, for you to risk there. And for a lot of people, especially when you're just getting started out, uh, a lot of times the protection you can get through your home insurance policy and through your uh, umbrella policy can give you pretty decent coverage, you know, like as you said, up to millions in, of, of dollars, which, you know, hopefully would, would cover uh, a lot of incidents that happen at your property. Um, uh, to Ashley's point, we don't have, you know, one LLC per property. We have a couple of LLCs that kind of manage a lot of our, our holdings. Um, and we, we do that because we feel that's the, the right structure for us. But I, th I think the, the best thing for you to do, Mark, is to go talk to an attorney in your state, uh, someone specifically that, that, maybe not even in your state, but really more so someone that understands, uh, real estate investing, uh, and all the, the different kind of nuances that come along with that and kind of lay out like, Hey, here's what my, picture looks like, right? Here's what I'm worth. Here's the, the assets that I have uh, and let them kind of understand like, Hey, what's the right way for you to do this? Because I, I know some people that spend like $50,000 in legal fees to, you know, for like asset protection, but it's because they're, they're protecting tens of millions of dollars, right? I myself today probably wouldn't pay a lawyer $50,000 to set up asset protection for me because, you know, in comparison to my, uh, assets, it doesn't make sense for me to do that. Right. But you know, someone that's got thousands of units, 
Probably. So I think you, you want to kind of weigh the, the cost uh, against the benefit and see what structure makes the most sense for you. But I think getting some good legal advice is a, is a good first step as well. So the next question is actually, I'm going rogue on this. This is a question that I have for you, Tony, that I wanted to submit today to (laughs) real estate rookie. So I never, ever go on Facebook, but I actually, once in a while, I'll go on Facebook marketplace and look for properties for sale. And I actually found one. So I've been logging in to check if the guy has, you know, messaged me back on it and he did today. But, um, I also just scrolled through my feed and it was just, uh, I'm not in this group. It's like an Airbnb, VRBO, booking.com host group. And it just like must have came up as like a recommendation. Or whatever. Group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a picture of a fridge and it has um, like six different beers and like a little wooden crate thing and then a bottle of wine. And it says, here's a choice beer or wine, have a drink. It's vacation time. And then the person wrote, this is a little something that I do for each guest in the refrigerator. I have a nice bottle of wine and a variety six pack of beer along with a 12 pack of waters. And then of course, this cute little sign. I like, I would like to see what other hosts do for their guests as a special little welcome. So in my brain, the first thing I think of is, okay, what if there are underage kids in there and they drink alcohol? I always think worst case scenario. So I go into the comments and there was actually a mix of them. Some just being like, you know what, it's the person's choice. Like this is a very nice gesture. Um, other people talking about recovering alcoholics, how this may be a trigger for them and that it's not a good idea to put it in the home. Also other people talking about liability or saying that it's actually illegal for you as a business owner to provide the alcohol in the property. Cause you don't have a liquor license, you know, depending on what their state was, but, um, so I was just wondering if you have any take on this as to what are your thoughts on it? That's a, that's a great question. I'll, I'll, I'll answer with a little anecdote first. Um, there was this podcast I was listening to and it was, it was a podcast about like the, the court system. And this, this lady was like going to the courthouse every day, like kind of following these different court cases that were happening. But one thing that she called out in the, the podcast, uh, was that as she was in the courtroom, like there were, there were TVs like in the, in the waiting areas, but the TVs were always only set to the food network. And she asked someone there, she was like, you know, there's so many other options. Like why the food network? And they, they kind of started like rattling off like the different possibilities. They're like, oh, well, we could put the the news, but, you know, it, it's it's too polarizing or we we could put sports, but, you know, not, not everyone likes sports or we could put, you know, like a, a kid's show, but not everyone's in here with kids. And they just like rattled off all these different reasons why all these other options were were potentially bad ones. And they landed on the food network because they're like, who doesn't like seeing good food getting cooked? So when I when I think about like from a host perspective, it's it's almost that same approach. We're like, okay, what's the the food network of like a welcome gift? Um, so we only do welcome gifts at a, a few of our properties right now, and ours are are pretty plain. It's a it's a little note card that we have. Um, it's a, a little package of popcorn, um, and it's like some some candies, and we do that. At, I think uh, two two or three of our properties right now, and um, that's it. You know, and it's you know, for most people, 
there's not a super high allergic reaction to um uh to, to popcorn we thought about like maybe home baked goods but they're like what if people are allergic to nuts or peanut butter or whatever's inside of them so we said what's something simple something generic something that, that most people can can be happy with so i personally probably wouldn't uh standard include wine as a, as a welcome gift for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned. We have sent gifts like that in the past, but only if we know, like if we get something from that guest before they check in. So someone's like, you know, hey, my, my wife and I are celebrating our, our 10th anniversary. You know, anyone who's, you know, celebrating an anniversary 10 years is probably over 21 years old, right? Um, so in some of those situations, we'll, we'll send like a, a bottle of wine or if a guest maybe has an, an issue getting into the property because they're checking code, what's working, we'll send like a bottle of wine or something like that. But as a standard catch-all gift for everyone, I, I probably wouldn't do it. Yeah, we've done it twice in our A-frame property. And the one was for the first ever guest. Um, and you could tell by the picture, they were definitely over 21. <laughs> and then um, the second one was for um, a couple getting engaged, where he had just like um, asked us a couple different questions about how he was planning his proposal and things like that and talked about and asked where's a good place to go get drinks. You know, we're doing this hot air balloon ride or whatever. And so our, you know, our manager given recommendations. And so this was all done ahead of time. So we left them a, a bottle of champagne, but um, we actually hid it. And then we told him where it was so that after he proposed and stuff and they came uh, back, he'd like, cool. <laughs> yeah. I do think welcome gifts in general are like a good idea, you know, because as, you know, as supply continues to increase on the, on the platform, competition continues in, to increase the hosts that really kind of separate themselves through the experiences, the ones that I think will, will do relatively well. So, um, you know, we, we're, we're always kind of reevaluating what can we do to, to improve that experience for our guests. Yeah. One thing that I've never seen feedback on is that, um, we bought like $150, like Marriott plush bathrobes and our cleaner takes them home every time and does them like as we have like, I don't know, four of them or whatever, but we leave two at a time and does them as part of her sheets wash cycle. And we have never had anybody say that they like them or even use them or what. Like we found some in the hamper and everything the cleaner says, but nobody has cared about that. Then we also get like, you know, at weddings, people sometimes provide like flip flops or whatever, or even like slippers for your guests or, you know, you're doing a bachelorette party or bridal shower, whatever. And you have the so you can buy in bulk slippers and so we actually tried that out too. And nobody has ever, people use them, but nobody has ever like left in their review or private review. Like, oh, we love this little touch. We love the slippers. Yeah. It's an interesting concept and it's something that I struggle with as well. Um, I, I read this book about uh, Disneyland and kind of how they they create the magic at Disneyland. And it, it started to give like these little examples of things that Disney does that that go above and beyond what a typical amusement park will do. And it's all with the goal of kind of creating this magical experience. Like if you walk through like a construction zone at Disneyland, you never see the construction because they, they decorate even the gates that they, they put up over the construction. If you walk through a, a different amusement park, you'll hear, you know, the, the tractors going off in the background. You can see everything that's going on, right? Uh, Disneyland has people that are going through, uh, like scraping up gum all day, just like all these little things that they do. And no one's probably ever commented at Disneyland. Like I love going to Disneyland because there's no gum on the ground, but they can feel the difference 
right? Like it, all these things kind of just combined, it creates a significantly better experience for people when they're there. So I struggle with that. You know, it's like, do we invest in these little things that may not themselves create like that positive review, but it's the combination of all those small things together. What's like your biggest complaint, would you say? As far like something, some, something that's very little, that's like not like you wouldn't think somebody would even like be, you know, put their time and effort into actually like sending you a private note when they write a review, you know? Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. Hiring? Your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rookies, I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like Rent Ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening. Nope, they've now rolled out proof of income verification. So let Rent Ready handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with Plaid certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets, but if you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for only $1. How great of a deal is that? So visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP like Bigger Pockets Investor to get six months of Rent Ready for only $1. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours. 
even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. You know, it's, I feel like it's either something related to cleanliness, you know, like maybe a cleaner missed something. That's probably the, the biggest beef that, that most guests have these days. But like outside of that, I wouldn't say there's anything that's like consistent. It's usually some one-off thing. It's like, for example, like the, our AC was leaking at one of our properties and the, the mini split is right above the, the bed, you know, so that guests complain about that. But I don't, there's nothing that's like all the time we kind of get this, the same complaint. Um, so it, it's kind of hard to say. Yeah. I was trying to think too. And like, none of our stuff is really about cleanliness or uh, like things that need to be fixed or anything like that. It's more of like, Oh, you know, could you like add this in or like, we actually got one the other day. They, they still gave us five stars, but there was like, there's nothing to do here. <laughs> and I don't know if they meant like in the house outside or like the location of the property, but it was like, Hey, there's like board games. There's a TV. I'm not sure. exactly. There's a fire pit. There's a basketball. Net. We've kind of gotten dinged on some of our properties for location as well. And when that happens, like, you know, there's like the location description on, on Airbnb where you can talk about the location. We've tried to go back and like update that. So people really get a good sense of like where they are. Like one of our properties, it's, um, it's literally as far north, west. It's like in the far edge of Joshua Tree. Like literally, like if you go, the next parcel doesn't even belong to anyone. It's like all government land. Um, so that's how far out it is. Um, and initially we were getting reviews from people that were saying like, ah, you know, it's, it's a little bit fur, far, you know, there's like a two mile dirt road to get there. So we put that information now into the listing. We say, Hey, you know, you're going to love being so remote. If you're really looking for, uh, you know, uh, a solitary desert escape, uh, you know, enjoy the, the two mile bumpy dirt road on your way to get there to really experience the desert. Right. So we tried to hype it up inside of the listing so people understand that. But when we do get comments like that, we try and, and go back and optimize the listing to, to make it more apparent up front. Yeah. It's so funny. Like the things we thought were going to be issues haven't been issues at all. Like the driveway is actually really steep. And if it rains, it can get really muddy. And like we put in there, like we highly recommend like bringing four wheel drive and stuff like that. And nobody has complained about that at all, which has been super surprising. But yeah, I was just looking at the the, the review that we got today that kind of made me want to ask you that is like the, the only thing that they complained about was the difficulty of finding light switches. <laughs> And like, the, I mean, this is the tiniest little property ever. And like they could have, and like, I, I still have the messages hooked to my phone. So I'll still get like, sometimes they'll pop up for me. And so I, I read it and they had asked our manager, like, you know, who, you know, we can't find it. She responded right away, told them like the exact one they were looking for where it was located or whatever. But we, we do label our light switches as silly as that sounds, but it's like, we'll have one, you know. Uh, sink light, kitchen light, you know, patio light. That way people, you know, because we, we were getting those questions a lot too. Like, hey, which switch does this thing? And, you know, I can't turn this thing on. So 
Yeah. You got to dumb it. Yeah. I think the only one we have labeled is like the exterior camera and we give them the option of shutting it off. Really? Yeah. Exterior. Interesting. We literally just like argue with the guest, um, maybe two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago. Um, because we said, we say in our listings, like, Hey, there's an exterior security camera, uh, for your safety and, and for us to make sure that nothing goes wrong with the property. Um, at this particular property, we had two, one at the front and one on the side that pointed towards the backyard. And for most of our properties that have big backyards, we, we do that, you know, one on the front and anywhere there's like a point of entry. And she was making this big fuss because the listing only said security camera and not security cameras. And she literally like reached out to Airbnb and she was like, their listing is incorrect and they're watching me. And anyway, we're, we're pretty staunch about keeping our security cameras on at all times, because in case something happens, you want to be able to check. Like, for example, someone literally broke into one of our properties last week. Um, we had like a, like a, uh, there was one night that was unbooked and our, our cleaners had cleaned the property on like Monday. No one checked in Monday night. The next guest was checking in on Tuesday. And the cleaners cleaned the property Monday. You know, we saw them come in. We saw them leave. They finished their checklist. The guest gets there Tuesday and he's like, hey, you know, the, the property looks a little dirty. And, you know, someone left like some white, white residue on the on the countertop. And there's some weird things happening. So like we went back like, yeah, okay, cool. The cleaners were there. We go through our cameras and turns out someone uh, broke into the lockbox and stayed the night at the property and we saw them like at like two o'clock in the morning they were like literally trying to creep past the camera so we couldn't see them so anyway we never turn our cameras off because you you never know what what could happen so i should start leaving them on make them you should totally ours well they have to turn it back on when they leave which everybody has been super good at that but yeah so basically it's when they're there some people don't yeah because like we had we had one guest that reached out to us saying that she slipped and fell out by the hot tub. And again, we have a, a camera that points to the backyard and we were able to go through all the camera footage. And the only time she sh- slipped and fell was because they were drinking, sitting at the outdoor patio table. And she tried to sit down and she missed her chair. But she tried to message us and say that she slipped because it was so wet by the hot tub. So even just for reasons like that, like we never turn the cameras off. Okay, so let's go back to uh, some of our other questions here. The next one is from Julie Glazer. Is there a way to find out what a property sold for other than asking a real estate agent? Zillow and the assessor's site does not seem to be accurate. For example, I purchased a property in September and it's not updated on Zillow for the price I paid. Thank goodness. The assessor's site had it appraised at 74,000, which is way over what it was actually worth given its condition. I called our recorder of deeds and they do have an online record search, but it's $20 a day or $250 a month. So, so Julie, first, just to kind of clarify the, the different data sources here. Uh, so, so typically there, there are a couple of ways you can get data on like properties that have sold. You can get it from the MLS, like the multiple listing services, or you can get it from the actual county records. Typically, uh, the most accurate information comes from the county records because those are based off of like the, the paperwork that gets filed when the property is closed. Like in California, our title and escrow companies collect all the paperwork from the buyers and the sellers, and then they submit all of those final documents to the county. So those are typically your, your most uh, accurate data sets are, are from the county. 
Uh, Zillow, if I'm not mistaken, and you know, someone shoot me an, an angry message on, on Instagram if I'm wrong here, but I'm, I'm pretty sure Zillow is pulling their information from the multiple listing services. So, you know, if an agent like fat fingers a number or whatever, you know, as they're kind of finishing things out, you, you could see inaccurate data on, on Zillow as well. Um, so just understand that there, there's two kind of different ways to, to pull that information first. So Tony, where do you think they get it if it's an off market deal and it's not on the MLS then? Yeah. So I, th- there's a couple of places I like to go for data. Uh, so first you can go to the County. Uh, so Julie looks like you've already reached out to them. Uh, 250 bucks a month seems pretty steep. Um, but luckily there, there are other ways to get that information. So there are data aggregators, basically websites, software companies that pull data from all these local counties and they put it all in one place. Um, so Envelo is one option. Bigger Pockets has a good relationship with Envelo. Uh, PropStream is another option, but both of those data, uh, software providers, allow you to search pretty much every city, county across the entire country and see the same data you would see as if you were paying that 250 per month. So I think my first recommendation, Julie, would be to go to a website like uh, Envelo or PropStream and set up an account with them. I think it's like 99 bucks a month or something like that. So you're only paying one subscription, but then you get access to nationwide data as opposed to just that one little county or city. And I think some of them have uh free. Like I think in Velo, if you're a bigger pockets pro member that you can get it for, you get like $50 free to spend on stuff. And then prop stream, I think you get seven days free too. So lots of options to just try it out, especially if you just need one thing. Um, for myself, I've looked at the County records and you can still pull information a lot of times without having to pay to get the searches. Or if you actually go to the assessor's office, especially if it's a a smaller town, um, today, my business partner is actually going to the assessor's office. They are only open on Tuesdays from 1 to 4 p.m. (laughs) And (laughs) this question actually made me remember, and I just message him real quick at my computer. And I said, did you go to the assessor's office? And he's like, no, I will right now. Thank you. So um, also thank you, Julie, for your question. So that this reminded us to make this happen because or else we'd have to wait till next week. But um, what you go to the assessor in person and they still may pay, you may have to pay a fee still depending on, you know, how big the assessor's office is, but you can get the information from there too. Um, and then also we have a newspaper, um, I think it's called like business first or something. It's in Buffalo and it will actually publish all of the, um, like real estate transactions that have happened and what they were recorded at. So you can actually pay a membership to that newspaper, which is probably going to be way cheaper than the $250 a month. And you can go and search when they, and they think they do it like every week, like here's the transactions that happened this week. And usually it, it, it takes a little while. So like if the newspaper comes out in January, it may have been, um, you know, transactions from the end of November, December or something like that. So, um, but if you, you know, it was a while ago, you can go through the newspaper too and search or go to your local library and go through the big computers where you click through the pages <laughs> of old newspapers. <laughs> uh, I, I think the last thing to highlight too for Julie is uh, is the assessor's appraised value. Um, so the the assessor's appraised value, I've at least in the properties that I've purchased, that I've researched, that I've analyzed, I've never seen the 
the assessor's value match the actual appraised value of the home. Typically, I see that it's lower. Um, you know, the, the assessor is kind of trying to understand like, Hey, what, what kind of property tax bill should you have? Um, and luckily it's always lower than what the actual appraised value is. So, um, I would never use the assessor's website to gauge the value of a property. It's only more so for like your, your property tax perspective. Let's break that down real quick. Cause I think that does get really confusing because when you get your property tax bill, okay, you have the market value and then you have the assessed value. And the assessed value is determined by the assessor along with the market value. And the assessed value is usually lower than what the market value is. And that's what they'll take that amount and they'll multiply it by the percentage of the property tax rate, whatever that may be for your town or county. So that is determined by the assessor themselves. This is 100% completely different than an appraisal. So for an appraisal, it is an appraiser who is going out a third party and they're going and looking at the value of the property, which would be more comparable to the market value of the property. But still, there can be a huge difference of what's listed as the market value. And also you have to look at when the property was actually assessed by the assessor too. So when was the last time the assessor went around and said, okay, you know what? I'm changing like your property is now worth this instead of that. And like they usually do a whole town reassessment um, for the property and you'll get a letter letting them know that they're going to be doing this and that, you know, so you want to go outside, make your house look like a dump for the days that they're going around town <laughs> assessing properties. <laughs> your property taxes are lower. <laughs> but it just, you know, that there is a big difference in that the appraised value and the assessed value of your property, because I have seen people say like, oh, you know, they're listing this house for sale for this, but the assessed value only says it's worth this. There usually is a huge, huge, huge difference. And you want your assessed value to stay low. To be low. So another yeah. thing, yeah, to keep in mind is that when you purchase a property, so at least in New York state, you can't get reassessed right away. So it's whenever there is a county or town reassessment that this will occur. And usually it's the town that that does the assessment. And so they will, you know, be like, there was maybe when you bought it, there was just an assessment done that year. So you bought it after the assessment was done. So you're clear for a little while until they do that reassessment. And when they do that reassessment, they would look at what your you had purchased the property for. And, you know, what the condition of the house looks like at that time. So that's also something to be very cautious of. If you are paying a lot more money for this property, be cautious that when there is a reassessment that your property taxes could increase. It, it's cool that New York kind of only reassesses on like a, a fixed cadence uh, for, for one of the counties I purchased and even where my primary residence is, um, the reassessment happens at the time of transaction. So what happens, like, for example, um, uh, in, in Joshua Tree, where we own quite a few properties, when, whenever we purchase a property, uh, the, uh, they, they immediately reassess the, the, the tax value. Uh, so our, our property taxes go up, right? As soon as we purchase that property, but then we also get hit with what's called a supplemental tax bill. So I don't know how, I don't know the, like the math that goes into this, but basically the county is saying, uh, I don't know for like, 
you know, hey, this is what we should have been getting, you know, on this property for the last time frame. But and it's not a small amount. It's like, you know, four or five thousand dollars. that's due that first year of ownership um, when you buy that property. So it, it, I think it really is important for new investors to kind of understand those nuances, because imagine you bought that short term and we got surprised the first time that we did it. You know, we bought that first short term rental and, you know, we're, we're cash flowing like crazy. And we get a bill for like four thousand bucks. We're like, hey, we, we've already been paying our property taxes. And we're like, they're like, yeah, we know you, you owe us this, too. So then we had to start kind of like budgeting for that in our new properties. Um, so just important for rookies to kind of understand what that process looks like. Yeah, there was a parcel of land that I helped an investor with. He owned the land already for a long time. So it was taxed at, you know, the assessed value is based on it being vacant land. And then um, he went and did a new development on it. And his property taxes for like three years after that were still based off of the vacant land because they hadn't gone and done the reassessment. So here's a Three and a half million dollar property, you know, getting taxed on like a like twenty thousand dollar land value. So there are ways that it could definitely uh, benefit you. But then that year that they, it was reassessed, like, woo, a big, uh, big shoot up. So just so you know to to expect those coming. Well, thank you guys so much for submitting your questions for this week's Rookie Reply. Remember, you can always leave a question on the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group. You can send a DM to Tony or I. Or you can go to biggerpockets.com slash reply. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Ashley at Wealth From Rentals, and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson on Instagram. And we will be back on Wednesday with a guest. We'll see you guys then. Getting started in real estate can be daunting. There's so much to know, obstacles to overcome, lessons to learn, and risks to avoid. It can all be so overwhelming. If you're feeling motivated to invest, but too overwhelmed to take action, here's some advice. Take it one step at a time. And here's some good news for you. The Rookie Bootcamp is starting on May 20th, and Tyler and Ashley will be guiding you through each and every step until you're the proud, confident owner of your first investment property. Through eight action-packed weeks, they'll guide you step-by-step through those first questions, decisions, and obstacles that every beginner investor must overcome. So if you're serious about becoming an investor this year, head to biggerpockets.com step and join us in the Rookie Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.